So transformation is not just about what God does with or in your life. It's about what God does to you. It's, it's a lot more personal than sometimes we make it. <clears throat> and what I want you and I to see as we look at Psalm chapter 15 this morning, I want you to see that according to David, he believes, he assumes that you cannot, listen close, I hope you hear this, you cannot live day to day <clears throat> in the presence of Christ without being transformed. He will state it as an impossibility if you truly, day to day, live in the presence of Christ, seek the presence of Christ, you will be transformed. You will change. You will change, not just your life, not just the direction of your life. And what David does, we'll have this on the screen, he does, it's a two-part in this very short psalm, chapter 15, he asks a question, then he answers the question. He asks a question, in essence, who is it that lives in the presence of Christ? How is it possible and who lives in the presence of Yahweh, the Lord of God, on a day-to-day -day basis, both now and hereafter, here and now and into eternity? But then he describes the answer to that question. He depicts what I call the traits of the transformed, of those who truly live in the presence of Christ, seek and live in his presence on a day-to-day -day basis, what begins to happen to them, in them, through them, the traits of the transformed. So we'll look at verses 2 through 5, and he's going to answer his own question he starts out with in verse 1. So look at, me, look at this passage, this very brief chapter in verse Psalm 15. It'll be on the screen. And he starts out by saying, here's the question, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk, he's answering the question, the one whose walk is blameless who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander and who does no wrong to his neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person, who honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even, even when it hurts and does not change their mind who lends money to the poor without interest, and who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. And then he lends the place, the plane on this statement you ought to pay close attention to. Look at what he says. Whoever does these things, whoever lives this transformed life, whoever does these things will what? Never. He didn't say sometimes. He said never what? be shaken. We'll come back to that at the end of our time this morning. But I want you to notice in verse 1, again, the question is in essence, who is it? What are the people like? What are believers like when they live in the presence of God? And he, he depicts in verses 1 through 3 this transformation. But what I want you to notice that we've looked at every single time we've looked at a psalm so far in the last five weeks, he uses that word for God. He doesn't just say God. He uses the very specific term he uses throughout the psalms, the word what? Lord. He addresses God as what? Lord. 
And it's the word, as we've talked about over and over again, the word Yahweh, the name of God that means the covenant God. It is the God who wants to be known by you and the God who wants to know you. In other words, this is very personal. It's a personal relationship that's being described here. And I want you to notice the question, what it says, what it communicates. He says, Lord, this relationship, this covenant God, who may... Now, notice the words dwell. He didn't say visit. He didn't say come a little bit and be there. He said what? When you dwell, what do you do? You're living there. You're camping out. You're, 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 you're taking root in. Well, taking root in what? He says, Lord, who may, first of all, dwell in your sacred tent? Now, what in the world is he talking about? Well, so glad you asked. That's a great question. You see, the sacred tent that he's referring to, he's, he's reckoning back to a time in the Hebrew history when they were nomads. They were in the desert. They had not crossed in the Jordan River and established themselves in the Middle East, in the Promised Land, in Jerusalem. And they were nomads. They were wandering around the desert. And they depended on and had what we know as what? The, the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was also called the tent of meeting, and it represented the presence of God. It represented God's desire to live among his people, that this would be Yahweh, this would be personal, not this abstract, powerful God in the heavens that I can't know, but somebody who will walk with me and be with me. That's why it was mobile, because as people were mobile, his presence was mobile. It went with them. He went with them everywhere they went when they would live and choose to walk and live regardless of their circumstances or what they face, they could live in the presence of God and it would make a difference in their life. So he says, who is it, Lord? Who is it that may dwell? Who does that dwell in this sacred tent, in your presence? And then he, he repeats, it's a similar question, but with a different image. He says, who may, now notice the word live, not visit, not go there on occasion, but what? live here. Who is it that may live on your what? Your holy mountain. Well, what is he talking about there? Another good question. You're asking the good questions today. It means it's referring to the temple mount. The temple had not yet been built yet. David wanted to build the temple, but God said no. And Solomon, his son, would ultimately be the one who builds the temple in Jerusalem. But the temple mount that it was based on, this is a rendition of what you would see as you're coming into Jerusalem and looking at the temple. It would be way up and high above the city. And that was on purpose because that mount was considered sacred and it represented the presence of God. The temple, once again, represents the presence of God. You see, when people would come to worship in either the tabernacle or the, the temple especially, they came not just to go through rituals, they came to what? Hello, encounter Christ, encounter God, encounter Yahweh. They came to encounter him, not go through a bunch of rituals and sing and say that was really good and leave. It was a purposeful effort to live and know Christ, to know Yahweh, to know God on a personal basis. So when you do that, when I do that, by the way, where is the temple now? Hello, are you there? Y'all wake up this morning, come on. It's us. You are the temple of of God now. His spirit, according to the New Testament, resides within you. Well, what does that mean? He's with you everywhere you go. You can live in his presence everywhere you go. Christ has made that possible. 
And so when you and I truly seek to live in the presence of Christ on a day-to-day basis, what, what is his point on a practical level so far? Basically what he's trying to say, and my flipper hopefully is working. There we go. Basically he's saying is that personal transformation, hear me, begins with God. Personal, real, listen, real transformation of your character and ultimately your life doesn't begin with anything else. Now listen, we try to change life by relocating, by changing a career, by earning more money. We, come, I don't think I'm alone, right? We can fill in the blanks with a lot of things to try to make life better, right? And to change life. But the biblical perspective from Old to New Testament is that does not happen apart from God. It begins with the one who created you. Doesn't that make sense? That the one who created you is the only one who can really change you for the better. Now you can change, but not for the better. He can transform you. And that requires what? Living in his presence seeking and finding him, looking for him each day of your life. Now, when you do that, let's look real briefly at the traits of the transformed. Let's look at what happens according to David in his word in Psalm 15. He then says, who can do this? What are they like? What happens? And he answers the question, verse 2. He begins with the personal. It changes you on a personal basis. Your very character, the one whose walk is what? Look at it. Blameless. Uh Uh-oh. Does that mean I've got to be perfect? No, what that means, that word means is integrity. It means you will have a personal integrity about your life. It does not mean perfect. It means consistent. It means you will reflect the the, the character of Christ in your life. It, It does not mean you always keep all the rules and never make any mistakes. What that word means is that you possess this integrity from the truth of his word that you choose to live out. We just looked in Psalm chapter 12 where the world, the broken, fallen world is in the absence of truth and what happens. You can go back and look at that on your own. Here he is doing the opposite and saying, this is what happens when you not only know the truth, but you live by the truth. You respond to the truth. It changes you. And you will develop an integrity about you in your life because of this relationship with God. Well, how do I know that? Look at the very next term that he uses in verse 2. He says, here's who lives in the presence of God. Here's what they're like. This is the character of those people. Number one, they are blameless. They have this integrity. But number two, who does what is what? Hello, righteous. You see, the word righteous, as we've talked about a million times in both Old and New Testament, means you align with the character of Christ. It simply means that you seek to align yourself with the character of Christ. Now, you know what it means if you've grown up in a healthy family. I don't mean perfect, but healthy. You don't want to reflect badly on your family, do you? Do you? Anybody said, you know, I love doing that, right? I love embarrassing my family. You have that name, whatever that name is. And you want to represent your father, your mother, your, your parents, the, the, what you appreciate about your family. It's a very similar idea here. You're seeking to align with the character of Christ. You want to honor Christ with your life as opposed to dishonor. 
That's what that means. And when you and I seek to live in his presence, that's what will happen. But notice next, he gets really personal at the end of verse 2 into verse 3. He then talks about the words you use and I use and how we use our words. So the first one is about God transforming your character. Now verses 2b through the verse 3, he describes how you and I will use our words. Look at what he says at the end of verse 2. He says, The one who lives in the presence of God. Remember, he's answering that question in verse 1. Who speaks the truth, how? From their hearts. What does that mean? It means you're sincere. It means that what you see is what you get. It means you don't say one thing and mean another. You don't speak with a forked tongue. Again, quite the opposite of chapter 12 if you go back and compare it. It means that when somebody hears you speak, they know that you mean it and you'll do it. That's what it's referring to. You speak from the heart. So you use your word to reveal actually who you are. And then verse 3 goes on to say, whose tongue utters no slander and does no wrong to his neighbor. Again, opposite of chapter 12. And casts no slur on others. In other words, you will choose not to do damage to the lives of others with your words. How tempting is it to get back at people when you're angry, right? Come on. Sticks and stones may break my bones, and that's a bunch of baloney, right? Absolutely not true. You can do more damage with your words than I can with my words than I can do with a lot of things. And so what he's saying here is that when we live in the presence of Christ, it's not that we don't ever make a mistake, but when we make a mistake, we'll own it. And number two, we'll be consistent with guarding our hearts. And we won't destroy somebody with their words when we have an opportunity to even listen even when you feel like they deserve it right they always deserve it right well no they don't you and i will have control over our tongues look at james chapter one or chapter two as an example of the very same thing so he say he is telling us it will transform you on a very personal basis now listen i've 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 been in ministry 30 plus years now and I've met a lot of people over that time in different churches and even, even doing seminars and whatever and, and doing some teaching and stuff in other places. I've met a lot of believers over that time period. And you know what? I am consistently amazed at what God has done in people's lives. What am I talking about? I have met people that I know now where Christ has done a transformative work in their life and they share with me what they used to be. They share with me the hot, dysfunctional mess that their, their life used to be. And it's not that they're perfect again, but what I see and what was back then, I'm going, I can't believe this is the same person. You ever met somebody like that? I have, and I'm telling you, it's over and over and over again. I have seen God do a work in people's lives and they describe what their life used to be or in some cases I knew what it used to be and it's hard to believe it's the same person. You know why? You know what? It's not. It's not the same person. Christ has done this transformative work within them that has changed everything, even them. What am I trying to say? David is making clear, I hope you'll hear me, that transformation is not ethereal and abstract. It's real. It's every day. It's you and me. It's letting him change our very character and the essence of who we are. And that's what David is getting at. 
And I want you to see the so what question, what is the point? Number one, it begins with God. It begins with Christ. Number two, when you are being transformed according to God's word, you will begin to exhibit a personal integrity and an alignment with the, the character of Christ, not on a perfect, but a consistent day-to-day basis. Number three, what he tells us is that he will inspire you to use your words well because words matter. We just looked at that not long ago in the Psalms. Use your words well and you'll speak sincerely and you'll refuse to do harm with those very words that God inspires. Is that making sense? So this transformation, first of all, is on the, on the level of character. It's personal, but it goes further in verses four and five as he answers that question, who is it that lives in the presence of Christ? Who is it that lives in the presence of God on a personal basis? And it moves from a personal change of character to a public life. In other words, who you are and what people see you as will not be in conflict. You ever met somebody? Don't point fingers. Maybe you've been somebody. That who they are and who they pretend to be are two different things, right? You see, it will add up is what he's trying to tell us. Look at verses four and five. I'll wrap it up with this. He goes on to say, again, answering that question, who is it that lives in the presence of God on a personal basis? He is one or she is one who, look at this, who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord. What did we just see back in chapter 12, verse eight? We saw a world without God, without truth, that does what? Freely struts about and, and when a vile thing, when the vile is what? Honored. But do you see the contrast? We're going to honor reverence for God and not what is vile. Now, what does it mean to despise a vile person? That sounds rather personal, doesn't it? It sounds like you're supposed to take a baseball bat and whack him over the head. No, that's not what that means. You see, the word despise here in the Old Testament language means that you're aligning with the character of God. In other words, when he despises something, you despise it. He despises evil. Therefore, you and I should despise evil. In other words, stand up for what is right. And the word vile, by the way, here means hatred. It refers to a hateful person. In other words, I'm not going to stand by if I'm really living in the presence of Christ and watch somebody spew hatred on everybody else. I'm going to stand up for what is right. And when our world back in chapter 12 wants to raise what is vile up on a pedestal, I'm not going to stand there and just nod my head in agreement. I'm going to stand up for what is right. That's the public part of a transformed life. You and I will despise what God loves and love what God loves. Opposite of the broken world we live in sometimes. And he says, he who despises a vile person but honors those who fear, who live in reverence for God, who, look at the second one, who keeps an oath even when it hurts. <laughs> Don't you love that language? You ever made a promise you wish you could have backed out of? <laughs> That's what he's talking about. He's saying you make promises that you're going to keep even when it costs you something. Now listen, here's what's great about the language of this verse. The undertone of this this phrase here is that God will, will supply your needs when you keep your promises. He will take care of you. And the other part is that he will honor you for doing so. 
God will be honored and he will honor your life when you and I live in such a way. So he says those are the kinds of people that will keep their oath. They will stand up and do what's right. And look at verse 5. This all sounds weird to us because it doesn't make a lot of sense. He goes on verse 5 and says, It will be such a person that lends money to the poor without interest. Now what in the world is going on there? In ancient times, charging interest for stuff or even money, even at exorbitant prices. There are documents in ancient times of ancient Near East that, that uh, codify being able to charge interest rates as high as 40 and 50%. Now, you and I think 6% is high, right? Imagine if you're paying 40 and 50% on your house or whatever. And the point is that in ancient times, it was not unusual for the world around God's people to abuse people, to take advantage of people, to the point that when somebody could not pay back the interest, he or she would sell themselves into slavery to work off the debt and or sell their children into slavery to work off the debt. What is the point? God's word was very clear in the Old Testament. Don't do that. The world does that and takes advantage of people, but you don't choose to. Don't step on people to get ahead. Now listen, if you're a business owner and you're in the business world, that's a tough thing because the world is the opposite of what I just said, is it not? In some cases in the business world, it's a step on whoever you got to to make the money or to rise above or to compete. Is that, come on. We live in that world and we're called to be different right in the middle of that world. And that's the point he's making here. And he goes on to say at the very end there, he said, he is one who's being transformed, lives in the presence of Christ. He is one who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. What's that all about? That's a judge taking a bribe from the people who have money to rule against the people who don't. In other words, you're going to have personal integrity and you're not going to take the easy way out. You're going to resist temptation. And then he says, and I love this part, he lands the plane right back where he started. Look at it. Whoever does these things, it's not about doing to be transformed. It's about living in his presence and letting God transform you. Whoever lives this way is the point of verse five at the end. He says, whoever does these things will what? Never be shaken. You know what that means? It means you'll never be shaken. It means you have a foundation the world can never overcome. You will have a foundation to live from that regardless of what this world throws at you, Christ will prove himself enough. You will build your house on the rock and not the sand. That's what David is saying there. When you and I live, truly live and let Christ do the transforming in our life, he will establish a foundation to live from. So let me go back. We've looked at the trees Look at the forest now, just big picture and land the plane here. What is he trying to say? What does this all mean to you and I? He gives us the traits of the transformed right here. First of all, it starts with personal character. When you live in the presence of Christ day to day, one day at a time, he will change you. And it begins with him, not anything else, not self-effort, not self-help books. Number two, you will exhibit an integrity that aligns with Christ. Number three, you will use your words well and speak sincerely and choose not to do harm with what you say with your words. That's the personal part. But then he says it will match up to your public life. And he says, you will, when living in the presence of God, stand up for what is right, even when it's hard. 
He didn't give an exception clause in there. Did you notice? Even when it's difficult in the world, we will learn how to, in love, stand up for what's right. Number two, we will resist the temptation to step on other people to get ahead. Listen, you can try to do this in other ways than with money. You and I can try to make ourselves look better by gossiping about other people, right? We can step on people in all kinds of ways, and we're called to resist that temptation. And number, number three, the number six actually trait, is that you and I will experience a foundation that we can have no other way but in Christ. I like how this author, one author, sums up this passage in this way. You'll see it on the screen. Look at this. He said, the kind of worship and he's talking about the temple worship envisioned here breaks out of the confines of the temple and the Sabbath to infect the rest of the week in all of your life. It is a, aware of God's presence day to day and not just a prescri at prescribed moments of worship. In other words, you're not just seeking Christ when you come into this room. You're going to keep seeking him when you leave. And then he goes on to say, may we see God present in all our common moments of life and enter his presence as we, look at this, intentionally dedicate our thoughts, our words, our deeds, and our relationships to the restoration of his kingdom. You see, we're living in a broken world and God wants to restore his kingdom. Are you going to be a part of that or not? In essence, here's what I'm trying to get at. Ever, listen, hello, wake up if you've been sleeping Every single day, you and I, as followers of Christ, we got two, one of two choices, right? I can choose to live in the presence of Christ or I can choose to live outside it. And what God's word's saying to us in Psalm 15 is that when you're living in the presence of Christ consistently, it will show. He will do a transformative work on a personal and a very public basis in your life. He will change you. He will transform you and I over time. So that's the question. Which one are you living? Are you choosing to live in his presence or are you choosing to live outside it? Where are you right now? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this challenge and this reminder that our relationship with you is not wrapped up in this one hour of worship every week. It is not wrapped up in even being on a church campus is as is, is important as it is for us to gather together as the body of Christ. Father, it is wrapped up in seeking you on an every single day, every moment day basis, one day at a time. And so, Father, I pray that we will either commit or recommit to that search of Christ, of looking for you in the everyday parts of our lives. And I pray, Father, that we will begin to experience that personal touch of Christ, that transformation, that transformative power that only he has to change us and change even the very direction of our lives. Father, for anyone sitting here today that doesn't know you, I pray that they will begin that journey. They will seek out who Jesus says he is and experience the fact that he can change their lives for the better. He 
and only Christ can transform them. May we choose to walk with you, live with you in your presence because that's what you're offering. It's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen.